And welcome back to another edition, EP126. We're throwing it back Thursday with Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin. She came to Utah a little over a year and a half ago, I guess, somewhere around there. She spoke at the University of Utah to a full house and talked about her experience of her son being murdered by George Zimmerman. Even though he was acquitted, my belief, he was murdered. Um, yeah, it gets really complicated with the Florida uh, stand your ground law, especially the Florida version of it, where uh, the basically you 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 can stand your ground and shoot someone. You can shoot someone basically for for just about any offense if you feel threatened. You don't have to run away. You can stand your ground and kill someone if you feel threatened. And it's it's a it's a, it's a very messy law that is slowly turning the streets into the wild west. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's terrifying. It's, it's, um, it's very scary. My parents live in Florida and it's something I think about a lot. Like I think about Trayvon Martin a lot. I do. That young man's murder was the genesis of this modern killing of the black man by security guard and police officers. And that's why I felt it was important to not just throw it in the archive and dust it off that way. I thought it was important to come in, talk about it for a minute re-release it because Sabrina Fulton, yeah, she's a grieving mother, but she is a brilliant communicator and she knows exactly why young black men are being killed. And her insights, unbelievable. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to listen to. Yeah, me too, but you can't turn it off. No, you can't. And I mean, this was, this, this precipitated the Black Lives Movement. I believe so. You know, the Black Lives Matter now. Like, now, like, like now in the media, I, mean, I remember when this happened, like, this was like the first, like, this wasn't the first, but it was like almost like the first one that people really started talking about, you know, like, oh, like, was this right? Was this wrong? And then it's just escalated since then. Eric Garner, I mean, all these other, all these other black lives are being killed all over the place. And it's tough. And so what you're going to hear then is we're going to go straight to her speech of Beneath the Hoodie at the University of Utah. After that, I had the privilege to interview her. And I think it was the first time I really learned how to interview because part of the negotiations for me to get her, because I was the only person in Utah media to get her. She turned down Fox. She turned down ABC, Channel 2, everyone. And I was able to get her because uh, I was very persistent. And the important thing I learned is in our agreement, she was like, I'll give you five minutes. And we were seven minutes into the interview and I could have kept it going another half hour because she was interested and I cut it off. And so that was a real big learning curve for me as a young journalist was, yeah, sure. Give them the illusion that there's going to be a time frame, but don't hold yourself to it. No, don't. So that was neat to learn from. I hope you enjoy this episode. Send your feedback at oyutradio at gmail.com. You can tweet me at Mr. underscore Bloom, B-O-U-M-E, at Johnny McKeon. You're all over social media. Yeah, I'm all over the place uh, at Johnny McKeon, M-C-K-E-O-N. Here we are. I never get used to this. First of all, I want to say thank you, Utah. Thank you, Salt Lake City, for having the courage to invite me here. Um, Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules because you all could be doing anything besides sitting right here. And I want to say thank you. I want to start off by saying thank you. I'm going to talk for a few minutes about my journey. A lot of the media call it a story. So I might use story so that they can relate to what I'm saying. But this is a truly a journey for me. This is not something that I applied for. 
This is not something that I signed up for. This is not even something that I wanted um, to lose my kid. By nature, as a parent, we usually, our kids usually bury us. After a full life, after a full journey through it all, our kids are supposed to bury the parent. There should not become a time where we are comfortable with burying our children. And I, for one, will never get used to that concept. It is something that should be un uncomfortable to you. What happened many miles away in Sanford should be uncomfortable for you. If you are not uncomfortable with the situation, I suggest you go back to the media, search within, a little bit of common sense, read the reports, the interviews, because you'll know who Trayvon Martin truly was. And I stand and I speak as a representative for Trayvon Martin. As you notice, when I came up here, I didn't come with a folder, a notebook, a pad, because I'm speaking to you from my heart. I want my heart to reach out to your heart. I want you to understand what I'm saying in the words that I speak. I want, you to, I want them to be clear, and I want you to understand what I'm saying. You could not have gotten any average than my family. When I tell you that I'm an average mom with an average household and an average car, an average job, I was the average person, but through powers unforeseen to me, there was a message that was going on through it all. There was a message that said that it's something wrong with the United States. Many of you, like myself, wonder why we are in foreign countries fighting foreign people for a foreign reason. We don't quite understand that concept. It's a lot of fighting that's going on right here in the United States that we have to address. If you are not looking for ways to improve this country, to improve your community, then you are a part of the problem. Because my son Trayvon had recently turned 17 on February 5th, 2012, three weeks prior to his death. He was young and he thought as a young person did. Sure, he was a little immature. He was buying candy. He was buying candy from the store and a drink. So that right there told me the mentality of Trayvon on that particular day. As I also think about what happened I understand the concept of the hoodie. Sure, it's a little cold outside, a little chilly, a little rain. Of course he had on his hoodie. But is it the hoodie that really made the difference or the color of his skin? And if by one second, just by one 
mere second, we think that it's the color of his skin, then something is wrong with America. I have no plans of leaving the United States. To me, it's the best country in the world, the only one that I know. Another thing is, I am from Florida. I was born and raised in Florida, and I refuse to leave Florida because Florida has an issue. Instead, I want to change Florida to be a better place. And by me changing Florida means for me to make sure that everybody that turns 18 years old, that they are registered voters, then that's what I have to do. If it means making sure that people are aware of the laws in their city, states, and community, then that's what I have to do because when I think about what I used to do as opposed to what I do now, I have a great deal of work to do. I told my attorney after we received the verdict of not guilty that I was disappointed in the justice system because I truly believe that the justice system would work for us. I believe that the jury would ultimately see that Trayvon was on the telephone two minutes prior to his death. Does that sound like a burglar to you? He had in his possession candy and a drink. Does that sound like somebody that's getting ready to burglarize somewhere? Absolutely not. Trayvon was minding his own business. As many of our young teenagers do when they're walking home from the store or they're walking to school or they're walking to a park. They are merely minding their own business. They have no intent in their heart to commit any crime. But because someone felt that Trayvon was suspicious, they took it upon themselves to follow him, to pursue him, to chase him, and ultimately shoot and kill him. Not only did we not get enough information from the authorities there in Sanford, which is the police department. I thought that was just awful and disappointing that you're telling me that my minor child was laying on some grass, deceased, and you can't give me the answers as his parent? I thought surely it's something wrong. But that wasn't the worst thing. The worst thing I have endured, and this is gonna be hard, the absolutely worst thing that I've seen was the day of his home going service when I, and I'm gonna take this slow because it's still painful, when I, at his home going service, had to look at my son for a final time, all dressed in white, as if he was an angel going to a prom. That is the absolute worst thing by far that a mother could have endured to know that I will not get a chance to see my son graduate from high school 
walk across the stage with his diploma, select a college, get married, have children, get a good job. He wasn't even allowed the opportunity to vote. So there are a lot of things that I'm going to miss out on when it comes to his life. That's the downside. Now let me tell you a minute about the upside. The upside is that I get an opportunity to save somebody else's child. Although I lost my child in the process, I'm still living. And I have an opportunity to save other children. And that's what I work for. That's, when I, that's what I think about day in and day out, is how I can save, how I can get the message out to help somebody else's child. The conversations that we have, yes, they're uncomfortable, but we need to discuss them. We need to talk about them. Because don't think for one second that racial profiling does not happen. Don't think even in your community here in Salt Lake City that it does not happen. Because it does. It's an awful thing, but it does. Racism is still alive. Racial profiling is still alive. Injustice is still alive. And we have to make a difference. We have to change this. We have to think individually, what can I do to help this journey this story, what is it that you can do to help America, help your community so that this does not happen to anybody else's child or children? Thank you all for your time. God bless you. Continue to pray for myself. Continue to pray for my family. Continue to be strong and uplifting. Continue to inspire others as I will continue to inspire others as well. Thank you so much for your time. Um, so I was right, right? Amazing. Um, Sabrina shared something with me, I think, that was very special and important before we began this. And she said that her pastor told her that not only do trials and tribulations um, build character, more significantly, they reveal them. And the content of the character of Sabrina Fulton is awe-inspiring. Um, so you've heard from her, and she has agreed to hear from you, um, and will be answering questions. So we'll have two microphones going around the room. And before those go, um, there were a few posed earlier that I'll offer now. So in morning, um, this morning at breakfast, you mentioned that different groups are impacted by it. You said right now um, black males are profiled, but it can later be another group. So unless we address it, um, can you discuss what it is, what we should be focusing on? What is racial profiling, bullying? What is it that we really need to be looking at? Um, what I was actually speaking about um, this morning, that it is racial profiling, that it is being biased over one group over another. And what I also said was, um, my son was African American, and today it was my, me and my family. Tomorrow it may be you and your family. So we don't wanna wait until something happens in order to try to make a difference. And then in your work with schools, the work that you're doing now, um, what are the areas we should focus on to prevent racial profiling? Um, we need to focus more on self-esteem because when 
people are more concerned with themselves and start character building within themselves, then they stop throwing rocks at other people and they stop trying to judge other people for who they are and why they are not uh, identical to who they are. A lot of times people want people to be just so much like them. They want them to have the same religion and they want them to um, be of the same educational level and is same uh, sexual preference. And it's, it's just things that people want and, and we all are so different. And people just have to learn that and ha they have to just have a respect for themselves. And if you respect yourself, then you will respect the next person. So back to basics, respect. I think now, by now, the microphone should have reached someone with a question. So if that is you, make yourself known. Any questions from the audience? Okay, we have one. We are just are getting the mic to that person. The speaker. It's not so much a question. Um, having grown up in a different time where profiling was kind of the in thing, if something happens to you, you don't need to respond with um, adversity. Turn that around. Don't be upset because it can, it can happen in a very bad way. And I, uh, I'm just so thankful to be here in your presence. And uh, just to reiterate that, please, you know, that uh, we can't respond with upsetment because we're in the right. We could be dead right. Other comments or questions? Yes. Um, because there's no mic, I'll repeat this one. Someone said to me um, after the Trayvon Martin incident, we never think that we, we would give birth to a martyr. And your son, unfortunately, is a martyr for this country. And I want to thank you for standing up on behalf of your son and continuing to help people recognize that it's a painful thing to hear that your son has been a victim of racial profiling. So thank you. Thank you. I have a question. Um, do you have a, a message for 17-year-olds? I know when I was 17, if I was walking through the park and looked over my shoulder and saw some dude following me, do you have any thoughts about what I should have done or what Trayvon should have done? I, I don't know if it's much that Trayvon um, should have done because I still think about what happened and I still am under the impression that they said one time that he was walking too slow. So I'm thinking if he was walking too fast, then he would have still been suspicious. I think at the end of the day, that it's not about Trayvon, it's about the person that felt that he was suspicious. And so we do have a lot of work to do, and we do have to work on mindsets. Um, and that's why it's important that we, we plant that seed that says, if you're a little uncomfortable about what ha happened, if you're just a, a little bit uneasy when you watch the news, just a little bit, you, you don't have to think whether one person was innocent or guilty, but just by the mere fact of you being uncomfortable with the situation um, makes me believe that, yes, we do have a lot of work to do, and there is some racial profiling that's going on. A lot of people don't understand it if it's not happening to them. but. We just all have to be human beings. And as being human beings, we have to realize that, unfortunately, there are some mean and evil people that are in this world. This next question may be a bit of a follow-on on that, um, because be you commented about how do you understand racial profiling if it's not something that's happening to you? How do you identify, how do you relate? So this question asks you, what kind of data can be collected to support the argument that racial profiling is a problem? Um, we can look at the statistics about the deaths and find out who used 
the stand your ground laws. That's one thing that we definitely could do. Another thing we can do is we can look at the death rates in certain communities and try to analyze why this person was killed and another person is not being held accountable for it. So there, there, there is uh, data that they can accumulate and they can research. They have so many different schools and so many different universities and college. Maybe they need to uh, look into that matter to find out, is it really an issue in America? Is it really something that we need to address? And I think people will be surprised that it is. It's definitely an issue. Yeah, the, the data actually is out there. Um, but you speak more to how to understand that data because you're not a data point, you're a mom, and you've experienced this. Um, but bringing more understanding to ro racial profiling as a problem is a large part of your project and why it is you're here today. So um, in working with people who are unfamiliar with the subject, um, how do you introduce it? How do you get people involved? One of the things that um, we do um, we have a training that's called conflict resolution. And a lot of times um, we understand that uh, bullying is a component of racial profiling. Um, we make sure that people understand the differences that we all have. Everybody is not going to be this cookie cutter human being. We can't all be the same size. We can't all be the same age and look alike and think alike and, you know, we can't all be the same people. We'd be robots if that were the case, you know. So we just have to realize and understand people's differences and respect. I'm going to always go back to respect because we can get along living door to door, next door to each other, working with each other. If you respect me and I in turn respect you, that will go so much further than changing laws, understanding the laws, if this is the, the case. I think it's just basic respect. Thank you. Uh, we'll take a couple more questions from the audience in the next round. Hello, um, KJ. Um, I got a question. The question I have is, do you believe this happened to Trayvon based on him, the fact that he's considered a human resource? That he's considered a human resource? Um, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, when I look at a word and I comprehend the meaning of that word and someone says human resource, a resource can be, can have value to it or can be considered expendable. So you feel like as far as the court case and all that, Trayvon was just something that just happened and that's why they dismissed it the way they did? Um, that's a pretty hard question right there, but it's a good question nevertheless. I think, um, I think this happened to Trayvon, but it could have been any African-American child. I don't, I don't believe Trayvon was selected. It just so happened Trayvon was in that community visiting with his dad. It just so happened that Trayvon walked to the store. Um, those things to me are, it's a coincidence. But I think he was clearly followed, and I think he was clearly uh, racially profiled, and I think he was clearly shot and killed. Those things that I know, they are, there are a lot of variables in there, which I don't quite understand. Um, uh, one of the things being that Trayvon ran away. That, that, that tells me his mentality was a kid. His mentality was, let me get out of this area, let me get away from whoever this guy is following me. Um, and then I always go back to the fact that he was on the telephone. And I know uh, when I'm not on the phone, I can be easily distracted by what's going on around me and my environment. And as women, and I don't want to pick on the ladies, but a lot of times when we are on the telephone, we're distracted. And we may be putting ourselves in arm's way 
by us not being alert and aware of what's going on around us. So um, some things to me could have been prevented, you know, and I think that it's just unfortunate that it was Trayvon, but I think it's all in the matter of how we deal with tragedy, how we deal with devastating events in our lives. And I know that on the inside of me, if it had not been for the powers to be, if it had not been for God lifting me up, helping me speak, helping me stand, and helping me get through this, I don't know where I would be. Uh, I see a question in the back. Thank you for sharing with us. And my question is about the work that you've done with young people. And I was wondering if you could share with us the things that you've learned from the people, the young people that you've worked with, the questions they ask, the kinds of issues they face, and more generally about that kind of work. Um, a lot of young people are afraid. And it's unfortunate. But um, each year in Miami, and we have one that's coming up next year, because we decided to celebrate Trayvon's life instead of Trayvon's death. His birthday was February 5th, as I said, and on February 8th and 9th, we will celebrate his birthday again. We did it last year, and it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger each year. So hopefully, they'll have a Trayvon Martin walk here in Salt Lake City that I can come to. But what happens at that, thank you. What happens during that time is we have what we call a peace walk. It's in Miami, which is kind of far away, but if you want to get away on the weekend of February 8th and 9th, we will be glad to have you. It's called the Trayvon Martin Foundation Peace Walk. And what that peace walk says, is to tell our young people that you have a right, a right to walk in peace. You have a right to walk with anybody, without anyone following you, chasing you, pursuing you, and shooting and killing you. You have that right. So we want our young people to know. <laughs> we want our young people to know that. It's a short walk. And in conjunction with the walk, we have what we call the peace talk. So after they have a short walk, they have a peace talk. What that peace talk does, it motivates our young people. It lets them know that they are somebody special. It, it, it also makes sure that they are aware and that they are linking themselves with somebody with a positive person in their life. So it's linked to a, a mentoring program. It also, we have entertainment, we have different speakers and, and, and community leaders to come out. And it's just a time for our young people to unite and celebrate themselves. Real quick, I just would like to ask, what conversations should we be having with our youth? I have a son that's 10. What kind of things should I be preparing him for, you know, to kind of avoid some of the, some suggestions? I can tell you some of the things, I'm no expert, <laughs> but I can tell you some of the things that I tell my son, because I have two boys that I'm still working for. I have a son in heaven, which is Trayvon Martin, and I have a son on earth, which is Javaris Fulton. I'm still working for both boys. And what I tell Javaris is to make sure that he is being aware of his surroundings. Make sure that you are paying attention because a lot of times they are on the phone and they doing other things and they not paying attention. So I tell him, make sure that you are paying attention. That's one of the things. Um, I always try to tell him that if he's going somewhere to take someone with you, you know, some of the basic things we learned when we were growing up is to make sure you have a buddy with you that maybe it can deter some of the things or some of the danger that you may encounter. Last but not least, 
I tell him to stay prayed up because prayer is what's going to keep him surrounded by good and positive people. I see another question right here. Can you, can you address, you um, talked about conflict resolution. Um, first of all, I want to say sorry also. Um, my prayers are with you and your family. But when you talk about conflict resolution, when it came to the trial, do you feel like the state of Florida represented Trayvon Martin properly? Two, two, two answers. The parent side of me says no. Because as a mom, as a parent, we want to make sure that when something happens, to our kids that somebody is held accountable for it. And then on the other side, I believe that they did the best that they could with what they had and what they were up against. So I can't say anything about the state of Florida because I live in the state of Florida and I'm certainly gonna make changes in the state of Florida. We have a lot of work to do. It took a lot of time for us to get in this situation, and it's going to take a lot of time for us to get out of this situation. So I have two answers. I, I, I think that the state did what they could in their powers. You know, in their realm, they did what they could. But I think at the end of the day, as a mom, as a parent, just thinking about what happened, I just think more should have been done. I just. I, it's, it's just something inside of me that says you can't shoot and kill a person and get away with it. So um, we have a question here. Um, actually, I would like to tell my story today and tell you that I'm feeling your pain because I'm going through that with my son, yes. There are things that happen here in the state of Utah, just like any other state. My son is being accused of a crime that he didn't do. He's facing five to 15 years. He's disabled. He's a schizophrenic. And what they said is that he tried to take a police officer gun. He had his hands handcuffed behind his back. It was not possible that he can do it. And I have to go to court tomorrow. But they said that um, the prosecuting attorney said he would like to talk to the officer to see what he should do, what his decision on my son. Um, they will not give him a plea bargain, but I am fighting the fight. So I just want you to know my prayers are with you. And those things exist here in Utah too. Let, let me just say to you, let me just say to you, do you have an attorney? Do you have legal advice? Make sure you have a good attorney and make sure that attorney is explaining the process to you. Um, we had good attorneys through Parks and Crump out of Tallahassee and they explained the process to us for us to understand because when something like this happens, you're not prepared for it. And I, I just thank God we had good attorneys that explained everything to us. So just make sure you have the guidance of a good, a good attorney. Uh, hi, my name's Keandra and I'm only 17 years old and I'm, I really agree with what you're saying. Like, I'm from the South and there's a lot of racism and going, stuff going on down there and I wanna thank you for coming and talking to us about it because um, like I've really never had anybody to look up to, but you're one of the main people that I look up to because you you fight what's right, what's what you think is right. You don't care what anybody else says, you do it because you want to do it. It's not because other people tell you to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to go to this side of the room for um, two two more questions very quickly. Okay, so my oh, this is loud. my question is to you. Um, this 
this this racial profiling is just such a topic and it can get heated. And coming from um, um, African-American woman and coming from a, a person that grew up in the inner city and now I am in Utah where it's not a lot of diversity, it's not a lot of culture. And I feel like a lot of times people fear what they don't understand. And they fear what they don't know. So how do you get this conversation started? How do you get it started? Because I feel like sometimes, you know, they can say, oh, well, the race card is all, you know, it's always the race card, it's always this. And that's not the case unless you've been in my place and you've been in my shoes. And how can you really understand where I'm coming from? So how do you get this conversation started so people can understand and not just understand, but really, how do we understand each other? How do I understand what you go through as a, a woman of another race? And how do you understand what I go through? And how can we come together? Like, how do you get that, that conversation started and action and get organized around it? Okay, thank you. One of the things you have to do is you, you might need to connect with someone and that person may not necessarily be an African-American like yourself. You know, long as it's somebody that you trust, they believe in you and you believe in them. All you need is positive people. Positive does not come in a color at all. But just make sure. <laughs> just make sure they have some of the same beliefs that you have. And then you'll go far. Don't worry about connecting with just your group. The Trayvon Martin Foundation is not just African-Americans, it's about children. Whatever color, whatever ethnicity, it does not matter. We are for children, our focus is children, okay? Um, we have time, I think, for just two more questions. My question to you is, you mentioned the hoodie and the color of the skin. Both represent a stereotype. Do you feel that we need to attack, or not attack, but um, to tackle breaking down those stereotypes within our own communities so that we don't deal with profiling? Um, I don't actually think the hoodie is a stereotype because all races wear hoodies. So <laughs> I was just in Old Navy over the Christmas break and they had a sale on hoodies. And you would be surprised how many people wear hoodies. Um, <laughs> I was on the Anderson Cooper show um, back when this ha first happened, and he said himself that he wears a hoodie and jeans to work every day. He said, and nobody thinks that he's suspicious, but he wears a hoodie. The guy who is the owner of Facebook, same thing. He wears a hoodie. So it's not about the hoodie totally. So don't get confused and wrapped up in the fact that Trayvon had on a hoodie. If you wear a hoodie, let me see your hand. Amen. Yes. And this will be our last question. I just want to say that I share the pain that you have and I haven't buried a son myself. And I know what it's taken my wife and I to get through that. But my question is, in dealing with young people, how can we help them get through that pain as they are profiled and they are killed, since you will be talking to a lot of young people and trying to help them? What I tell the young people that I speak to, I tell them that I lead by example. What I mean that by that is, I don't want to do one thing and then ask you to do something else. I don't want to tell you that you should not be smoking cigarettes and I have a cigarette hanging out of the side of my mouth. I want to lead by example. And that's why I think it's very important that we did not fight violence with violence. We had a lot of people to come up, thank you. We had a lot of people to come up to us and say that because somebody took your son's life, 
we need to take a life. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that for one second. Trust me, it hurts. Trust me, it hurts, and it made us very sorrowful, very bitter, very angry, very disappointed. But what we did, and I tell young people to do, is take that hurt, that sorrow, that disappointment, that pain, and project it into something positive, which is the Trayvon Martin Foundation. This one of those beats that I get lost in And talk about how this life is exhausting Or how I'm afraid of falling Distance myself so I haven't been calling often Part of me keeps telling myself it's just this precaution But it's just a way of life until loved ones end up in coffins I learned this lesson, I learned this lesson That's why my mind is racing, I'm stuck here watching the wall spin it's hard to go hard when my heart is softened Your life was taken and mine was spared What would it be like if you were still here and I was there? How would I act if God was to tell me my time is near? Only guarantee in life is death so I'm kinda scared to be honest with you I ain't making the best decisions Not every move I'm making is made with the best intentions And yeah I'm far from perfect but I'm tired of overusing that excuse Who am I to complain when most of my time is misused? So I wonder Thank you so very much for joining K Radio and the University of Utah. We as students appreciate you coming out. The questions I would like to ask you are a bit different than what you have discussed with the media and with your presentation. What has your son's passing taught you about forgiveness? Uh, it, it, it taught me that uh, I am much stronger than I thought I was because if you had told me that something would happen to one of my children, I would have told you that I, w I, w I would just absolutely lose my mind or that I would be so filled with bitter and hate that I would just try to look for the person and cause the same damage to them. It's, uh, it's not until you're placed in the situation that you realize what strength you have. And I can, I can never say that I forgive the person because I have not at this point. I have not forgiven. Um, it, that's going to take a much longer time to forgive, but I just don't personally feel like I have to run out and do something, um, cause any harm to him because of the harm he caused to my child. So I think it's a big, bigger issue, and I don't think you fight violence with violence. How does a person carry on after losing their child? How do you carry on with your life? Um, prior to this, I had a strong faith in God and I truly believe it was God that brought me through this. I don't think it was one individual person that actually did it. I don't think that myself, I don't think Sabrina could have helped me through it. I, I just don't think that I had that inner strength to just do it myself. So I knew that it was a higher being that helped me. It also helped to know that my family was there standing with me and that I had good friends that were standing with me and I had positive people standing with me from all over the country um, and even from some other countries as well. There were people that were praying for us, that were people that were supporting us. Um, we had 2.5 million people to sign the petition um, just to try to make a difference in order to get an arrest. So it's, it's little things like that that we know it was other people that was helping us and standing with us.
What can we do as a country to eradicate the culture of gun violence? Um, we can just make sure that we have responsible gun owners and that they're going through the proper training in order to know how to use that weapon and that we have laws in place that clearly states that when you take a life, when you take another human being's life, that there is a penalty for that and that you will serve time in, in jail. Um, we need to make sure that people are accountable for when they shoot their weapons and, and that they're educated and that they're aware of the impact that that uh, death makes on not only the shooter's family, but the victim's family. That, that, that's important that, that you know people are aware of that. Two more questions. What is your fondest memory of your son, Trayvon Martin? He, he always thought he was my doctor. So whenever I would get sick, he would make soup for me. He would, uh, you know, make sure that I'm covered up. He would uh, just just stay in the same room that I was in um, and just watch TV with me. He just had to be around me when I was sick. So he felt that he was taking care of me. And, and those are the, the happier times. You know, um, I can't be sad all the time. I have to think about his life and think about the good that he did. And um, that's some of the times that you may see me smiling is when I talk about the foundation and when I talk about Trayvon. How can students of the University of Utah help get involved with the Trayvon Martin Foundation? Um, they can go by visiting our website. We have a website, it's TrayvonMartinFoundation.org. And through that website, they can make sure that they are um, they know what's going on with the foundation and what we're doing. Uh, a lot of times we travel from city to city, so we want them to come out, the supporters, the people that are interested in, in supporting the foundation. We want them to come out. We want them to su continue to support us and pray for us. So they can do that by going to the website. Well, I appreciate your beauty. I appreciate your strength and your courage. And thank you for teaching the students and the citizens of Utah. Thank you. I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they have committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any Junction turn us around.